Welcome to the ninth edition of the Ref Pod. You've got me, Wayne Riles, Martin Cassidy, Wayne Baker, and today we are joined uh, by referee royalty, Roger Gifford. Um, ex Premier League ref, ex First Division, started as a lino. Loads and loads of stories that I've read um, about Roger over the years in his uh, career as a top referee. Um, Roger, welcome to the podcast, the Ref Pod. How are you doing? Hope you're well. Um, I'm looking forward to this. I reckon you can share some really, really good stories about being a ref, which I'm sure Martin's going to try and prize out here over the course of the next 30, 40 minutes or however long we're on this pod. So uh, how are you doing, first and foremost? OK? Yeah, everything's fine. Super. Martin, I'm going to pass it over to you. Uh, let's get this rocking. Listen, it's great to have Roger on. Roger's um, been a part of my refereeing career, a big, big, big chunk of my refereeing career. As on the national list as an assistant referee, and uh, always one that I always respected, always liked his reputation of a very straight talk and uh, massively experienced FIFA referee as well. Uh, massively experienced FIFA referee, FIFA delegates so the old school assessor, traveling the world, got some wonderful stories. He came over to um, Western Supermare once for annual dinner, had some wonderful stories. Just an absolute gem of a bloke and font of knowledge. And, of course, he's from the land of his fathers, Wales, which is a wonderful country, so it's good to have some international coverage. Oh, Rods. But, Rods, welcome, mate. It's really, really good no to problem. see you. One of the things I wanted to start with was um, a game that didn't really seem big to, to many people. What it was big to me was when um, and I got a photograph of it, where um, the last game at the Vetch, Swansea City's ground, when I, I was lucky enough to be on on that game as fourth official with some superb match officials, and we had Ray Olivier, Olivier. yeah, Ray Olivier in the middle, who ended up being winning the show in Japan. We had John Flynn, who did the FA Cup finals and assistant referee a few years later, and we had Mike Malarkey, who did the Champions League final, the World Cup final, the Euro, everything with, with Howard Webb. So it was great actually, to be in all of those Mike, people. Actually, Mike Malarkey is the most decorated assistant referee in the world. I think he is, mate, isn't he? And absolute still set, sending his knowledge and training back to the PGMOL. And, of course, one of the things that, we, obviously, you're still a PGMOL assessor and, you know, brilliant organisation. So much respect for what the PGMOL do in supporting referees uh, across the world, actually, in the way they go about their business quite quietly, like you do, so much. So, on that day, there's a bloke called Max Boyce. There. Sure. Big, big, uh, big personality. I remember I walked into the dressing room and there was two people there and one was John Toshach <laughs> and one was Max Boyce. Yeah. So those people who don't know who Max Boyce was, tell us a little bit about Max Boyce and John Toshach, Roger. Max Boyce, I've, I've met a few times and obviously he's one of the greatest Welsh characters. He's, if you want to spend a good evening and have a good laugh and a sing-song, he's the sort of uh, guy you'd go and watch. Now, no bad language. It's all clean, good family fun. Yeah, he was, yeah. Toshak, I could tell you a million stories about Mr. Toshak. Well, it's uh, one of the reasons I wanted to mention it, like, because obviously, born and bed red, Wayne, Wayne top Wayne is um, a big red too. And of course, it's one of these circumstances in my life where I had it with Jan Mulby, I had it with uh, Jason McAteer, I had it with Douglas, I had it with. Toshak, where you meet your heroes in the game, you don't quite know. And I had this big thing going on in my head when I'm going to this massive game. I knew it was historic, the last football league game of the match. 
still want to do a job, still want to concentrate on. And there's John Toshak. So he, he he was a very different man off the pitch than what he was on the pitch, wasn't he? Actually, when he was a player, he was very quiet. Mm. When he became a manager, he flipped. Um, he became a lot more vocal. And i tell you two true stories. Um, there was an assistant referee from your part of the world going back many, many, many years ago when Tosh came down from Liverpool, first off. And he was sitting in, on the bench. And um, he was starting to have a pop. And uh, do you remember a guy called John Waite? Yes. Yeah. He had sort of Kevin Keegan curly perm. Yes. Yeah. He, he sounded just like one of the Wurzels. You know. <laughs> and the old dude down here. Yeah. Anyway, I'd given I'd given a decision. Toshak didn't like it, and I could see something going on. So I sort of drifted over towards the technical area. And I could hear Tosh go, that's bollocks, Lino. To which John Wheat replied, didn't ask you I was keeping your ears apart, Mr. Toshak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can, can you imagine that in this day and age? Well, the, matter, the things that will go on, you know, it's something we've talked about on the pod, where, you know, the way the games change, where, you know, what players want and what they don't want and what um, even the fan wants. Totally different era. Um, you, you referred earlier to the PGMO. When I became active on the Football League, there was no training, no in-service education. It was Any education was done at sort of quarterly section meetings. Uh, that'd be the annual conference. If we, we trained, we do, did it ourselves. Road running, going up the park, what, what have you. There was no sports science in the 1970s and 80s. Mm. You look at what the guys have got now. Dedicated personal coaches, physical sports scientists, people who monitor eye movement. You know, they have so much given them, when I say given in inverted commas, to mm. help prepare them. Because the game now, compared to 30 years ago, is a totally different animal. You know? You know di different era of... Not only personalities, but the way the game was played, tactically, technically. You know, the game now is considerably faster than it was 30 years ago. Mm. One of the things that, that our listeners might not might not know is that you were one of the original first set of referees when the Premier League started, weren't you, mate? Yeah. Like, how much has that changed from, from that your first ever game in the Premier League to where we are now when... You know, what, what world of difference that must be for you? Yeah, it's a world of difference. World of difference. In those days, um, even going back before then, if you could referee the crazy gang at Wimbledon, you could referee anything. You know, no mm. doubt about that. Um, we were allowed to manage players right, in terms of things that were said on the football field going back then now would be deemed politically incorrect and you could be up on a charge for it even innocent things you know i'll give, give you an example of um it was a quarter final i think it was the coca-cola cup and it was played at highbury lovely old stadium yeah fast stadium and i wouldn't name the two players involved but one was an english international who'd scored a few goals 
and there was a Welsh international playing for the visiting team, Aston Villa. And the Welsh international I'd known since he was a kid. Anyway, the game's going on and the Welsh international is having an absolute nightmare. Whatever he did, it went wrong. If he went to pass the ball to the right, it ended up in row Z on the left, you know. <laughs> and after um, after about an hour, the Welsh lad went up to head the ball in the centre circle and he slipped and he fell flat on his arse. Right? So he knocked the ball in frustration, knocked the ball away with his hand. So it's a straightforward free kick for handball where the English international stood over him, laughed and called him a Welsh so-and-so, you see. I can't use the word on... Of course, of course. Uh, but he called him a Welsh so-and-so. I was standing behind him, so I tapped him on the shirt, on the back of the shirt and went, hey, I'm a Welsh so-and-so as well, and he scored more goals in internationals than you, haven't he? Promptly <laughs> ran off. And he chased me. And he said, yeah, are you taking the piss or what? I said, yep. You'll do for me. He said, shook my hand. And when I did my last Premier League game at Highbury, he gave me a shirt. Did he? Uh, wow. So did you did you ask for that, did you, mate? Did you say, no, I didn't ask I want, for it. No, I it want me game to be there. there. And he said, um, I understand it's the last game. and have the shirt, mate. And what I did, I, I've never collected shirts. I was going to a dinner which was raising money for local kids' football. And it was uh, auctioned off on the night. So, you, you know what businessmen are like. They'll pay over the odds to get a <laughs> shirt. And it had the player's name on it. And, you know. Now, can you imagine saying that with 22 cameras in the ground today? Yeah. yeah. So how many cameras are there then, Roger? Was it, well, it couldn't have been many how many were on a game. So probably there would be one behind each goal and one on the halfway line. Halfway line? It's mm. mad, isn't it, now? It's, it, you literally can't breathe, can you, without... Without someone picking something up, and it's um, I even remember. I'm not sure if it was you actually telling me about um, when we do the pre-match brief. Um, I think we were talking, and uh, you pointed at a microphone on the side of the pitch and said, "Shall we move a bit more inside?" <laughs> because because you just don't know who's listening. And I'm not saying you say anything towards on a pre-match brief, but you might be a little bit more candid on a pre-match brief than you was in front of the camera. Be fair to say, Rog. Yeah, well, um, do you remember when Paul Lynch was coming down from the big time and he was he ended up playing at Wolves? Yeah. And he was playing at Swansea at the Old Vetch. Um, it was whatever the League Cup was in those days because they were in different divisions and Sky were covering it and dear old Chris Kamara was on the game. Great, yeah. Lovely. Uh, top, man. top man. Anyway, You'll remember Scott Matheson? Yes. You know, Good ref. Right, Tim. Yeah. A little, little bit like Frankie Dettori in build, wasn't he? Yeah, he you was know. a Manchester lad, wasn't he? Yeah, Stockport. Stockport, sorry, mate. Yeah, yeah. Stockport. Anyway, in, in C was rabbit, 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 rabbit all the way through the game. And I, after, about an in, after about an hour, Scott just turned on. He went, in C, back off. <laughs> Anyway, nothing happened, you know, because it was accepted. Game went on. Knock on the door after the match. Chris Kamara, and before the days of DVDs and downloading matches on the internet, Chris came in with a 
video cassette and he started waving it like that and said, evidence. <laughs> so we all looked at him and he went, evidence. We've got you on your telling in seat like off. And you can see Scott's face went, oh, oh shit. At which point Scott's mobile went off and he looked at it and he went, oh God. So I went, is that the boss, is it? <laughs> he said, yeah, you could say that. And he showed me the screen and I kid you not. It was from his wife saying, don't you ever swear in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I remember you telling me, and I think it's quite quite um, relevant to today's game, about the challenges you face on the international stage. And you've seen what happened to Anthony Taylor, and I don't expect you to comment on what happened, mate. But, like, you know, a terrible incident there. But, you know, you went to some places when you went abroad. You went to Israel and... Some really, really sort of abstract places to play football I've been, back then. I've been to sixty different countries for, for sixty for different countries. Football. Yeah, oh. and I have to say, there's quite a lot of them I'd never go for my holidays. Because <laughs> <laughs> did you yeah. go to that for you ages ago? We get. No, I never went to Doncaster. <laughs> you wouldn't want to come mate, back. No, I'm going to say you definitely won't want a holiday here either, mate. <laughs> no, not there. But some of those places you, you, were um, some scary places to referee, Wendy. Oh, yeah, you can say that again, especially when the old USSR, you know, before the split up. When I got on the international panel, there were 33 member countries of UEFA. There are now 55. Really? Wow. What a difference. Yeah. And, you know, I, did the, I was on the first club match in Gibraltar, first club match in Kosovo where our liaison officer was the chief of police who had three bodyguards with him wherever he went. And I asked him why. And he said, well, I've been shot three times with the Serbs. I remember you saying about um, how, how different the protocol was where they would actually give you gifts. It was like a, a protocol where they would give you gifts before the game, wouldn't they? Well, they, they could try. <laughs> but that would be such a no-no now, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, um, well, there was the famous story of the um, Spanish referee, Lopez Nieto, out in uh, Kiev, when he gets into his uh, hotel room and there's, there's a, like a £2,000 fur coat on the table waiting for him. And... You remember, the, I think it was the 1970 or 74 World Cup, a Scottish referee who was due to go. And we found out he'd accepted um, gifts from one of the Milan teams prior to the match, which led to his suspension. And he lost his job over it because his company had given him so much time off for his refereeing. So you have to be very, very careful. Hmm. No, yeah. I know. I, I remember. It, I remember it was sort of, you know, the the, the insinuation that if some people are generally kind, aren't they? Some of these countries, like Kazakhstan, it's sort of in their tradition to give you gifts when you meet you for the first time and stuff like that, isn't it? And it yeah. can all be so interpreted different ways, which is sad, really, isn't it? Because some of these countries are wonderfully, wonderfully hospitable, aren't they? And genuinely have good intention at the heart. Obviously, others might not have the same intention, but 
It just seems that like the bad people seem to win when it comes to good things like this. There are certain countries they expect to give you a gift and they expect something in return. Mm. Yeah, it's their culture, isn't it? You, yeah. you can't operate. You cannot operate that way. You yeah. know, you, you mentioned Kazakhstan. I did the first club match there, and um, it was seven days for one match. Wow. And they rang me up and said, we sent you to Kazakhstan. So I was working on the mentor talent scheme at the time. Okay. And I had a Swedish referee. That you had a Swedish referee to work with and a Russian referee to work with. And they were supposed to send us videos of their matches uh, so we could analyse them and talk about it. The Russian referee sent me three videos, brown paper, string, wax seal, you know, something from the 1950s. <laughs> the wow. Swedish referee, who was very laid back, sent me three videos in a jiffy bag and he wrote out on the outside of the jiffy bag Swedish videos. <laughs> my postman was giving me very funny looks. <laughs> yeah, but go well, on. So you, you, you wanted to ask about a question, I remember you saying was. Well, fire away, mate. Me, oh, which one? Me, me. Is it? Yeah. Hey, do you still rank as one of the fastest red cards in history at 72 seconds? Yeah. Did you guys know about that one? Yeah. You got that right, yeah. Tim Flowers. Tim Flowers, yeah. Black Tim Flowers, yeah. But I read somewhere that didn't somebody try and attack you after that? We didn't get close enough because Gary McAllister and John Lukic literally beat the shit out of him. It's <laughs> 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 we don't have a good violence, of course. Yeah. Well, explain a bit more about that, mate. Yeah, there was a lovely story after that. Um, three weeks after that game, I got a phone call from, I think it was Daily Mirror's son or something. He said, how do you feel about refereeing Blackburn again? I said, well, when it happens, you know, it happens. And he said, uh, well, you got them a week after next. And I said, well, you know something that I don't know. I said, if we haven't had an appointment, if it happens, it happens, and I'll, I'll just go with the game like normal. Now, Tim Flowers always came into the referee's dress room before the game, right? Because he wanted to check the match ball with his gloves, right? And Tim, in those days, always took his wife and his kids down to Tenby in West Wales, or, you know, Pembrokeshire area. And knowing that I'm Welsh, he'd always come in, and he said, you know, you've been to Tenby lately, or... <laughs> any good any good new cafes or restaurants down there? So as it happens, Aston Villa, Blackburn. Knock on the door, it's Tim Flowers. He comes in. No hard feelings, he said. No hard feelings at all. You I did what I had to do, you did what you had to do. And he shook my hand, you know, fine. Knock on the door and it's Kenny Yardleash. And he stuck his head around the door and he said, Tim, I just wanted you to know that you've been in the Rogers dress room longer than you were on the pitch for the bloody league. <laughs> and he walked out again. <laughs> so talk us through that red card, mate. Talk us through it. Uh, what do you remember yeah, about it on a day? And all, how all it goes through. Brian Dean's through. Through on goals. Flowers brings him down. Penalty. Red card. Nowhere else to go, is there? And that was 72 seconds. Yeah. That's the, that's the fastest one from kickoff. 
but that's been on social media recently. Halsey, Mark Halsey sent Keith Gillespie on when he came on as a substitute at Reading. Oh, yeah, he did, didn't he? He, he came on and was off about 20 seconds later for <laughs> elbowing somebody. Yeah, I remember that. It was like a throw-in at the side, very near the touchline, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, I remember that. I remember that. So th- then, Roger, on that one, with regards to, to... In your head, does it all come together that, like, this is going to be a quick red card, or was it just instinctive? No, it's a, 99% of refereeing decisions are gut feeling when you were refereeing, when you were flagging. How many did you have to think about? Yeah, yeah. It's very you know, true you've that got much. that feeling, and you've got a job to do. And you can't be influenced by outside influences. You've got to be straight down the line. You look at it, you think, that's red. Mm-hmm. You know, the yeah, question I've been it. asking experienced refs, and I always seem to be getting the same answer, is can you remember your first red card? Ever. Uh, when I started refereeing, red cards, <laughs> I thought of it. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I you had to be of them. <laughs> I remember my first red card on the football league, which was Reading, when I sent their captain off. Yeah. And then 20 years later, I'm sitting next to him at a dinner. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Because one of, one of the things that I find interesting, it'd be good to hear the two Waynes' opinion on this, lads, is one of the things that I got into with regards to analysing the games was was... What Roger just said about a gut instinct, that only comes with experience. And sometimes when you push people through a bit fa- fast, they haven't sort of got that gut instinct, although talents should always shine through. But when they brought in buzzer flags and, and headsets, I was always worried, Roger, that the communication's sort of a bit fabricated. There isn't, how, how, do, how do you create a gut instinct when you got someone sending you a buzzer, Telling you down, down, down the headset. It's a red. It's a red, or it's not a red. I always sort of worried about that. That sort of communication that wasn't natural, wasn't sort of. And now VAR to another extent, where people, you know, some people might think referees rely on it, whereas the gut instinct is 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 almost everything to a referee, isn't it? Yeah. My first comment when I heard it was coming in, I said, "Be careful what you ask for." Hmm. Mm. Yeah. And. Has it benefited the game? Well, we've all got different opinions on that. You know, but, um, I've worked with it uh, in the games I've been on. With. It hasn't been a problem, but you'll have a problem when when a decision will come about where um, they'll decide something after VAR and the observer doesn't agree with it. That's yeah. going to be an interesting case, isn't it? No, I, th- I think you're right. And I think that's another conversation for another day, particularly with regards to, we always said about clubs having, having the assessor's report and the observer's report. And I think sometimes, we, we look how experienced you are, Rog, the amount of assessing, observing and stuff you've done, probably second to none. There can't be many who's got the experience of you on a PGMOL as an assessor where you think, you know, you get to a point where I, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, where... Do you ever feel sorry for an for an you know upset you know obsess um, observing someone or assessing them, and you think oh my god he's got it wrong I feel so sorry but I, but I've got to do him I've got to follow the protocol it's like it must be an horrible situation. There are times when you sit in the stand when you genuinely feel for your colleague out there. Mm. And let's be honest, every referee in the world has one of those games yes. every seasons. That's a fact. Very true. Um, 
I remember seeing a lad down at before Newport County got back in the in the football league. They were coming back up through the system and they, they were playing in I got a phone call from the FA on a Monday morning to say we've forgotten to appoint an observer for the trophy replay at Newport tonight. Of course I'm only fifteen miles from Newport, so yeah, I'll go down. And this guy had the mother, the father, and the grandparents of a nightmare. <laughs> Whatever he did. And I'm sitting, and of course, people know me in Newport, and they're all looking at me thinking, <laughs> anyway, you always try to finish off with a positive, no matter how badly the guy does. You, you try to finish with a little bit of encouragement. But I generally couldn't find anything positive to say and this was the days when we used to type them before you know we did it on computers yeah and so i'm typing away finishing off blah 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 uh phone goes so i've got a phone there i'm trying to finish this to get it in the post to send it off to the fa and all i can say is i'm really grateful for spell check (laughs) (laughs) because my last sentence was what I thought I typed was I would be failing in my duties if I did not point out the various shortcomings in your game last night. But I'd actually typed in shitcomings, <laughs> <laughs> which is probably a more appropriate description of his Oh game. my God. <laughs> <laughs> no. At the end but of the day, you- like, there's, there's no hiding place for the PGMO now with the way we have to clip any contentious decisions out. Mm. If there's every, every sending off, for example, or penalty award, we clip it out. If I agree with it, the KMI panel might disagree with it. Yeah. It goes to three independent people who look at it separately, not collectively. And if, it, if it's 1-1, one, one, it goes to a chairman's casting vote. If it's 2-0 in favour, well, so be it. So that there is no hiding place. You can't say you've had a great game, mate, because it'll yeah. just come back on you. And at well, the for end those who might not know, sorry, but for those that might not know, explain what KMI is to some of these. Some of the people ma- might not know what this is. Some people call it key match incident. Some call it key match decision. Hmm. Last year it was KMD. Next year it's going to be KMI, and they'll probably revert back again the following year. It's a contentious decision. Like a red card is a key match decision, isn't it? Yeah, apparently, and, gold and stuff, yeah. But oh, sometimes they go quite that. forensic. Sorry, was they go quite forensic because they even go down to an easy decision like was a throw in right, was a, a free kick right? Yeah. So, the, there is real every, transparency in that system. Yeah, every referee, every assistant will get a throw in wrong or a goal kick. I'm not interested in that, but how did he miss that penalty? How did he miss the handball on the line? But whenever you have to, in inverted commas, criticise. You have to offer operational advice. Mm. The first thing you do when you see a referee making a decision is look where he is. Can, I, can, I, ask, can I ask on that point, is, they, is there a threshold? Is there a, a percentage that they have to get right? In, you know, in terms of when you're looking at things, do you look at, is there... When you look at all these key um, moments in a game that you're, you're looking for the decisions, is there a threshold that they have to reach, like a certain percentage, to get right? Does that make sense? 
Yeah, what what happens, Martin, uh, Wayne, is that I will do the report and we have to do it, but is it best practice, expected practice, minor advice, minor development advice, major development advice? Obviously, if he has quite a few major development advice points, the marks go down. We do not know what the mark is. Ah. We fill in the box and then a computer algorithm works it out. So I haven't got a clue like the 59 referees I saw or 60 referees I saw in the Football League, National League last year. I haven't got a clue what their marks are. Ah, okay. And is, is, is this something that was, did this kind of thing happen in your day, you know, when you first started towards the end of your career, was it in oh, then? Oh, you get marked out of 10 and we'd have the mark on the bottom of the report. And you'd think, ah, right. He's a tight bastard. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a lot yeah. more forensic now, Roger, isn't it? Oh, yeah. But it's the way the game is going. You look at the coaching and the tactics, the way the players are in inverted, manipulated by the managers to do specific jobs. You know, it's sometimes, you know, do you see the quote by Johan Cruyff uh, the other week, which was brought up on social media? I do not expect my forwards to run more than 15 metres. Mm. You know, totally, totally different game that now, isn't it, in terms of forward play? You know, attitude, no, the attitude, um, let's be honest, how many people, shall we say, you blow on them, they fall down now, don't they? Mm. Mm. When I was refereeing and when Martin came on the league, it was a matter of pride. You didn't go down unless you were hurt. And I yeah. believe you me, I refereed some hard people in my time. Mm. You know, would you, would you say that... Liberal, sorry, you know? yeah. Would you say now, from obviously your experience of being in the middle of the field and seeing them up close and seeing all these great players, I mean, obviously you did some really big games. You've, had, you've obviously witnessed some really, really uh, world-class footballers in front of you. I always look at it now when I look at the, the games now, and, and I, th- I feel that there's less, there's less mavericks, if you like. There's less. I feel like every every aspect of a football team, from your right backs and left backs all the way up to the strikers, they all have the specific roles, and it's less kind of. Um, I'm trying to give an example here. If you think about when in the nineties, for example, you had there, were, there seemed to be loads of flying wingers. You know, like John Barnes, David Ginola, even Stuart Ripley at Blackburn were a phenomenal winger. And you don't see... I know you don't have wingers like we used to have wingers back in the day, but, like, you even, you even hear talk about the, the real top teams. The managers don't like players taking shots from outside the box. You know, they wanted to, to really pick these teams apart. And <clears throat> I just don't think, A, you get the personalities. And I, I don't think there's a... We always have this chat amongst my friends when we say, we look back on old Champions League finals and we look at the lineups and <clears throat> you look at old, um, old teams back then and you go through these lineups and the players are like just legendary, historic players. And you look at them to this day, and, and I I might be wrong in this, and somebody might say he's absolutely wrong here, but I don't see the same volume of, of high-class players as what they used to. Like I think about, for example, I think Harry Kane's a great player. He's got loads of goals for England. He's a phenomenal striker. But he doesn't have the competition that, let's say, Alan Shearer had or Gary... I mean, if you look at, you know, look at that Euro... 96 squad, Robbie Fowler, um, was it Les Ferdinand on the bench, you know, just couldn't get a kick, you know, and, and now the best competition that Harry Kane has is is Callum Wilson at Newcastle, there's, n- there's nobody else, and I, and I just don't think we have the same 
volume of players like that. It, it feels I'm not I'm not saying the England teams is any way worse than what it was back in the nineties because you look you look at what they've done under Gareth Southgate, albeit I think they should have won something. Um but I just look at that you look at the teams and you know we we did a thing um last year when we compared the current England team to the England team of the nineties. And we struggle to swap the players now with players of the nineties. If you look through it and you you go through it all like Gascoigne and Lineker and Waddle and Barnes, you'd say that those players would still walk into an England team today. So I'm just wondering when you say that, you know, how, how it's sanitised and how they, they get, you know, how the, the micromanage these players and what they do, whether you thought that that was a thing. Yeah, it's more of a collective now more than mm. individual talent. Yeah, you sure look is. at the Manchester United team of 92, 93, 94. You look at the players there, Mark Hughes, Ryan Giggs, Brian Robson, Cantona, Stevie Bruce at the back. How, mm. how the hell he never won a... And exactly, that's another point. He never, he never won Michael, a cap for England. Michael in goals, mm. and he had Dennis Irwin, Mister Reliable at right back. Mm. You know, um, that Manchester United team then, you know, if that team was playing today, they'd walk the league, wouldn't they? Yeah, absolutely walk it. Taking with the rules have changed to to, to well, encourage positive play. Yeah, the way it's changed, you know, all the um, pitch. One of my greatest abiding memories was uh, you remember when Samat Busby died yeah bless him and they were he died on the Thursday and they were playing Everton on the Saturday guess who the referee was folks oh <laughs> really it was you yeah and it shows how time has changed the capacity at Old Trafford then was 44,700 wow. wow full house the police commander told me that 15,000 people were outside the ground to pay their respects. And that morning, the Euro 96 draw had been made in Manchester. And you had all the heads of the European nations in the ground watching the game with a UEFA hierarchy and little old me. And we led... <laughs> And Ken Merritt, who was the secretary then, rang me on the th on the Friday to say, you've obviously heard the sad news. Um, with your permission, we'd like to have a piper lead the teams out. Oh, wow. And it, I, all I said was, just do what you feel is appropriate. Mm. I wasn't going to mess up the tribute to one of the greatest managers ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you find it emotional, Watch? Not at the time. Okay. Because you're focused, you've got a job to do. Yeah, big strength of yours. The, they had the piper in the tunnel and his arm was going like the bloody clappers because he couldn't get his bagpipes to work. Oh, no. <laughs> so I'm looking at me watch. Anyway, he got them going. And then, now if you've got 44,700 people on the ground, you're going to hear a noise, aren't you? Yeah. Total silence. Really? All you could hear was the bagpipes. The bagpipes. Oh, wow. And I'm leading the teams out on the lineup for both teams and the staff and what have you stretch from one penalty area to the other. And it was the fastest game of football I've ever refereed. And before the game, um, the guest room was the door there was opposite Alex Ferguson's office. And he came out and he saw me and he said, um, what sort of game are you hoping for today? 
I said, just one the old man would be proud of. Mm. Anyway, Manchester United won one nil, and the goal itself was a rarity because Ryan Giggs scored with his head. Wow. <laughs> right? That was a rarity. Yeah. Anyway, the game kicked on faster, 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 and faster. And it it didn't pass me by because you do your job. But I have to admit, when I came off that field, I was absolutely knackered. Right? Mm. I'm just up in the director's box, all the UEFA big rigs knock on the door. And it was the president of UEFA, Leonard Johansson, wow. who I'd met when he'd come to the Welsh FA in Cardiff. And I don't know if you ever saw Leonard Johansson, but he made John Wayne look small. Wow. He, he literally filled the doorway and his head was the doorway. And he came in, shook my hand and he said, I remember you when I came to Cardiff. You picked me up from the airport to take me to your federation offices. What a fantastic game. The doors opened and the then secretary of the FA walked past. And Johansson said, it was Graham Kelly at that time. Graham, Graham, come in, speak with the referee. And Kelly just looked and said, visitors are not allowed in the referee's dressing room. <laughs> like, I'm going to tell the president, you wait for it, go away. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, please to speak, I call that. Please to speak. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you a true story about Alex Ferguson. He's much maligned in some quarters, but... You'll probably remember, Martin, when we had the case of Frank Martin. Yes. When he died in tragic circumstances, mm-hmm. leaving two kiddies. And between Neil Midgley and myself, we organised a memorial match in this large name in his home village. And Alex ran me a few days before the game and said, what sort of team are you expecting? I said, give me Ryan Giggs and the kids. We'll be happy. I'll do you better than that. Giggs, Dion Dublin, Mark Hughes, some youngsters called Skulls, but we raised 50 grand for a widow and two two kids. Manchester United would not take a penny for, you know, traveling, nothing. Right? which was down to Alex Ferguson. And when I, I obviously rang him to tell him how much money we'd made and to thank him. I'll never forget it. We'll say, listen, son, he said, it's the family of football. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't see the media like that, would you? No. No, I, you, you always hear, because um, I'm a massive Liverpool fan, and you always hear uh, ex-pros of Liverpool speak highly of him about how supportive he was. I, I, I'm a massive Robbie Fowler fan. I was when he was a player. And uh, I've listened to podcasts and read his book and he speaks really highly of Fergus. And he said when he started his his refereeing journey um, that Fergie offered him help and he, he was ringing him up and giving him loads of advice. Down here at Doncaster Rovers, um, his son used to uh, manage, uh, Darren Fergus used to manage Doncaster Rovers. People met him down here. Said that uh, one of the guys I know that met him said that they used to, t- used to talk about all these old players, and he never ever forgot any player that he ever signed. There was a player 
I can't remember his name now. He's from Doncaster, and he, he was supposed to go on to big things, and for one reason or other, he never quite made it. But he still spoke highly of him at this game and saying, no, I remember signing this kid from Doncaster, and, you know, we were this, this, and this. And, you know, you just... But you know, all you see, I mean, there's, there's the rivalries when the, when the football's on, but when that 90 minutes is done, people are people. And I think that, you know, there's loads of good people behind... Mm the the media portrayal of, of what they're actually like and he sounds like a an absolutely incredible bloke to be fair. Yeah, he was he was um how shall I put it? I know for a fact from the Manchester United scout from down this part of the world when they look at, at signing youngsters, he'll go and meet the parents. What even now? Yeah, he he is, you know, the Manchester United brand, but when he was man- manager there and he's got a phenomenal memory for names. Yeah, that's what they said, yeah. <laughs> he's, believe it or not, when he came to Cardiff for the Super Cup final, Real Madrid and Sevilla at uh, the Cardiff City Stadium, he was there as an ambassador, and I was looking after the match officials, and he saw me in the VIP room. I hadn't seen him in 15 years, and he still remembered my name. Yeah. Brilliant. You know, things it's the little things like that, isn't it? There's real power in that, isn't there? Yeah. Um, yeah, um, I think so. What One of the things I'd like to touch on now, unless you two boys have got anything that you want to say, Roger, about the Premier League at Apple. I know, I just, I, don't, I was just leading into, obviously, on about greats, and you mentioned uh, a, a Johan Cruyff quote, and he does do some amazing quotes. Funnily enough, we've, in my club that I run, somebody shared a quote that, that he'd said the other day, and I was like, well, that's just so powerful. But am I right in believing that you actually refereed um, a European game, including Barcelona, when he was manager? Is that right? Yeah. What did you did you get to meet him or to speak yeah. to him? What was he like? Met him. Was... Very approachable. Really. Until I sent his captain off. And <laughs> 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 the old ones, and the old. I was. I was an old-school referee, and you give a player enough rope, he'll hang himself. And I give this guy enough rope, and he hang himself. So, I don't know. The game was in Iceland against... Uh, yeah, yeah, Iceland. I've read it, yeah. 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 And um, it was end of October, and the end of October in Iceland is, is pretty pretty cold, I can yeah. tell you. <laughs> <Bet> it is. <laughs> One thing that stood out in that game is that we had a male streaker. I was in that game. Yeah, <laughs> a male streaker in Iceland like, in October. I bet it could not have been much to see. I, I thought the cold was supposed to make things go smaller. <laughs> <laughs> it is phenomenal, you know, some of the things you've done, Rog, which is why I, I, re- I was really so pleased that you, uh, you agreed to come on when, it, when I asked you. And one of the things that, again, our listeners might, might not know is the amount of work you've done in Wales as well. Now you do a lot with the PGMOL, but you've done your name is just synonymous with success, support, and talent with the Welsh FA, you know. And I, and I think that needs recognised. And how are you finding the way the Welsh football is developed into the, the bit of a monster it's become over the last like you know five or six years? Yeah, well, the national team it's like the golden age when you had the gigs and the Mark Hugheses of this world never got to a World Cup final. Now we're going through a transitional period again. When you look at it, you know you 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 cannot lose a player of Bale's ability uh, and expect the same things to happen. But from a refereeing viewpoint, uh, since I stood down, 
um, as referees manager there. You know, we've got referees for the first time ever is since Lee Evans refereed group stages of the Europa League. Yeah. We had our top referee uh, refereeing in the group stages of the Conference League this season, or the season just gone. So seeing um, the development of football in Wales, I've got to ask, what's your opinion of the Wrexham rise to success? Well, funny enough, I went to Wrexham twice at the end of last season uh, as observer. Um, best of luck to them. I, I'm pleased for Gavin Parry, the club secretary, who's been there for 20 odd years and been through thick and thin, mm. gone years ago, gone through months with not getting paid, stuck with the club. You know, these are the unsung heroes of football as far as mm. I'm concerned. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the American superstars can take all the glory, but it's people like Geraint behind the scenes that deserve a little bit more credit. And what was nice at the uh, National League dinner this year, when there was the presentation of the trophy for the league, they sent Geraint up to collect it. Oh, did they? That, that was a nice touch. That's yeah, good. They're, they're probably more famous, I would imagine, now than, than, than a few Premier League teams, to be honest, given the profile on um, the Disney... Is it Disney Plus channel that yeah, they're on? Disney, yeah. Yeah. Crazy. I wouldn't even know how to find that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think one of the things that I think needs recognising as well about the work that's being done in, in Welsh football is... is you know, Cheryl Foster, what a world-class referee you, you've got there from Wales, who's, who's going to be at this year's uh, yeah. World Cup down in Australia. Australia. She's at, down in Australia and New Zealand now. Now, you know, the, the developments of the female and the male support like, you know, over there, I know a, a young linesman, or assistant referee, Harry Hendricks, who was from over this oh, neck of the woods, went over to Wales. He's doing well. And I just think it's, it needs recognising the work the Welsh FA have done and the, and the people like yourself and all the people that's preseason right back to you know Kerry Williams when Kerry Williams was was on the Premier League for years wasn't he? And Kerry Richards, you mean Kerry Richards? Kerry Richards, sorry, not Kerry Williams. I'm the Andy Williams and Kerry Richards. Both of them were on were on the, uh, the the Premier League, weren't they? Andy Williams and Kerry Richards. And I think there's been some great talents coming back right back to um, you know the Welsh Keith Cooper. Were you you were you on with Keith Cooper? Well, we're the same. Well, Keith is two months older than me. Is he? When the Premier League was formed, um, they wanted to take all Welsh referees off because the League of Wales was being formed. All Welshmen off. And myself and John Deakin went up to a meeting in, in London at the FA headquarters with John Goggins, who was the referees officer of the Football League at the time, the chairman of the FA Referees Committee. But I'd done my homework and I spoke with Alex Ferguson because obviously in those days I was knew him very well. And I told him what the plans were and he said, leave it to me. And he got people involved and there was a compromise situation that those that were on stayed on, but there would be no people coming up behind. Well, well, that's right or wrong, that's for other people to decide. Exactly. But at least it wasn't chop everybody off. You know? mm. And that's, again, Alex Ferguson getting involved, which nobody knew about except a select few. 
It's interesting, isn't it? And I think that that sort of if, little bit of unfairness because they were letting you know cards of Swansea, Wrexham play in that system, but they were trying to cut out the match officials, which doesn't seem really fair on a match officials from a profile point yeah. of view. But I understand yeah, the policy. There, there were legal issues then because of player contracts and what have you. Ah, oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. Because yeah. I remember one of the highlights for me, even though he's an Evertonian. Is a uh, being on the line and watching Lee Trundle play at Swansea. You talk about these players that that you know Wayne said earlier about never really reached the potential or whatever. But what a naturally gifted player he was that played at Swansea for all those years and yeah, Leon Britton. That's what his nickname was. Is what? Magic Daps. Magic Daps. Is that his nickname? He he was a phenomenal player, wasn't he? Absolutely phenomenal player. He's still playing. Third tier of world football, yeah, 46. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so you see you see him and um, oh, I've had a, a bit of a, a bloody brain fart. Um, who's the manager? Was that player, player, he's player manager at Swansea. See his face, Martinez, Martinez. Roberto, yeah. Yeah, Roberto Martinez. Another player playing in Swansea. You see some of these players at Swansea has at that time when he was in the championship. And just, you know, not quite in the premiership then. But they were just magnificent players that never sort of really went over the edge to be the profile in the Premier League, were they? Yeah, yeah. Leon Pritton well, did a big like, thing. Yeah, Lee Trundle was a great player in League, or what's now League One and Two. But when he went to the Championship, he didn't with Bristol City. He didn't quite get it, did he? No, he didn't for some reason. Which I couldn't quite get it. He was just the most naturally gifted. You talk about Johan Cruyff. I know if, if, if Lee would listen to this, because I do, I do know Lee and put him in the same <laughs> realms as Johan Cruyff is an exaggeration. But the way he had a crowd, the way he held a game, his skill levels, and mm. you know, every time he got the ball, he just the crowd just went up a little bit. I just yeah. thought we really enjoyed going down there to Swansea and watching players like him. I must admit. Yeah, yeah, the old Vet Field that um, certainly had a bit of character about it. Some of the old grounds compared to the modern sanitary yeah. stadiums we have now. But yeah, same with Ninian Park, wasn't it? You know, I was fortunate enough to do the, the as, as you were there, the, the last game of the Vets. And I also did the first game at the Liberty, Liberty Stadium at Lee Probert. And, and some of the grounds that we went with Ninian Park was just a different, what a different level of atmosphere when you go oh, to it. Yeah. It was just a different level. And even Merthyr Tidville used to love going to Merthyr Tidville. What a wonderful. People like Anthony Hughes, you know, involved in there. And I don't, I've always had this sort of like crack of lads. When they great affinity with Welsh football, I used to really enjoy going over there and getting some stick off them. I must admit. <laughs> I, I think I think yeah, so you'd always get stick in Merthyr. That's for sure. <laughs> I think I think you've led us on beautifully to to a question. I love to ask um, referees that, that come onto the pod, and there's a couple really. I, I love to I love no, to try no, and. Ball, man. Ra- Wrap, wrap it up with this. Now, it's all good. There's, no, there's nothing trying to catch you out. I'd just like to know, firstly, your favourite ground to referee at, and if possible, why? I, don't, I wouldn't say I had a favourite ground, but I tell you what, when you walk down the tunnel at Anfield and they start singing, you never walk alone. Good. That, you know, good that's, that's a bit special. I mean, uh, yeah. Old, old Trafford, obviously, everybody wants to go to Old Trafford. But I used to enjoy going to the smaller grounds because um, quite often the smaller grounds, you had a warmer welcome. Really? (laughs) Is that inverted commas, that warm? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, there are clubs, 
you know, it's the same with observing now. You you go to certain clubs where they ain't got two pennies to rub together. Yeah. But you get a much warmer welcome than you'll go to some championship mm. club or football league club where oh it's you again, is it where you know you're sitting. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You did um, yeah, you did referee the, the, the Liverpool Manchester United game, didn't you, in the the last ever season of the old first division when uh, Man United needed to win. And Liverpool nil, Liverpool beat them. What yeah. um Liverpool won them two nil. That must have been some atmosphere that day inside Anfield to referee. Yeah, again, another fast open game live on television. Yeah. And um yeah, games like that you'll you'll never forget. Um I've been lucky, guys. I could blow. I was never the greatest referee in the world, but I think I could classify or be classified as a safe pair of hands. And it's the same thing now. It's one of the things that's always hacked me off is that a lot of former colleagues, when they, who were fortunate enough to operate at the level I did, when they blow the final whistle for the last time, you never see them again. They don't put anything back into the game. Mm. Well, it's something we talked about on the phone, actually, Rod, you know, and it, I'm glad you brought it up because, you know, even when, even when you talk back of how many referees have been lucky enough, and I think you do yourself a bit of disservice there, Rod. I, I think you're one of the best referees on the Premier League. You, you, you're fantastic, absolutely fantastic. How much have you got to drink, Martin? <laughs> <laughs> a couple of cups of tea. Now, I always looked up to you, Rod, on, on and off the pitch. I always thought you were great. And I think we it is true. You see a lot of referees out there who just, some might disappear for political reasons. You know, we always said, you know, about our friend Eddie Hughes, you know, he would have loved to give back to the football league, but wasn't allowed to because he made that error, the famous full-on Palace game. And But there's some referees who actually choose to disappear when they don't do what you do and give a lot back for a long, long time. You probably give back off the pitch as many years as you did, don't you? Actually longer now. Absolutely long, yeah. do you know what I mean? And that's, that's that's something to be admired. And, uh, you know, we need more yeah. people like you to give this experience and this. 20, you know, 20, year, 20 years on the green bit at football league level and what have you. And uh, next season will be my 28th as an observer. Oh, superb. That is great, isn't it? Honour to God, yeah. these people. And it, I've, been, and, I've been very lucky. I'll finish, you know, if you want to finish now with one story. Back in 96, I'd, I'd finish refereeing. And... I'd been invited to become a uh, referee assessor, as we were then. Yeah. And I got a phone call. And I was invited to go to Palestine to train their referees. Have any of you guys had the privilege of going to Palestine? No. I wouldn't even no. dare. Well, as you know, Palestine is split into two. Mm. West Bank and Gaza. Gaza is strictly dry. West Bank, you can have a beer. Well, and if you've been coaching for eight hours out in the sun, you need a beer. After. <laughs> 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 we had West Bank had a chairman of their referees committee, and Gaza the same chairman of that referees committee. The chairman of the West Bank wanted all his referees on FIFA, because I was training them to get them up to FIFA standard because they'd applied to become members Mm. of FIFA. So the first thing I did was give them a fitness test. And you remember the old bleep test, Martin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. My word. 
I had guys dropping out at level two. Oh, never. Wow. Because of the heat. So I'm going, you, out, home, finish. No, no, I'm staying. I'm a friend of the chairman. Oh, God. Wow. No, no, you're out, you're going. No, I'm staying, I'm a friend of the chairman. So the chairman comes up, he's my friend, he stays. So I said, well, it's very simple. If he stays, I'm going home and you don't get any FIFA referees. Mm, good for but, you, Rod. Yeah, well yeah, done. But the chairman in Gaza was totally different. He only wanted the best referees. And I went in 96 for three weeks and I went back then six months later to do the sweep up. And you have to adapt to the culture in that part of the world. And I found that difficult to adapt to. And I have to tell you, the standard of football was absolutely bloody dire. <laughs> and on the last day, um, I'd been to the um, PLO headquarters, where I met the president of the Palestinian Football Federation, who was a three-star brigadier general in the army. And what, an, you know, being there was just frightening because I two guys came to collect me like they were WWF wrestlers. <laughs> Wasn't it Yasser Arafat that ran the PLO? Yeah, he, yeah. he was alive at that time. And then they decided to play this grand match in Jericho where I was the guest of honour. And I'm sitting on the VIP tribune and I'm thinking... All it will take with one mad bastard of an Israeli over there with a bazooka, and we're all dead. Mm. <laughs> because whatever yeah, you. Different world, Rog. Different, different world, world, and it's just. The, so what we got. Sorry, Rog, come on. The, you have the literally teenagers carrying bloody automatic rifles and pistols over there. Yeah. Sounds like sounds like somewhere in Donny that these days to be Doesn't honest. Doesn't it? Yeah, it's excellent. Right? <laughs> can I can I can I just round off with them? There's just a final one that I always like to ask, and then we'll we'll let you we'll let you go because you give us some amazing time today. Unbelievable. I love it when you referees in the middle of the pitch and you see stuff. Who was who blew you away most on a football field? Who who was your the, the most talented or your favourite player? Who was it that you when you ref the game and you and you seen him play, you were like, wow. Was the one? Was it a few? Anybody really stands I, out? I refereed QPR, Manchester United, and the two captains were Butch Wilkins and, and Brian Robson. And having seen them on television, you're thinking, what's special about them? When you're out on the park with them and seeing and hearing what they were saying to young players in coaching, encouragement, tell them what, telling them what to do, they were absolutely outstanding. Wow, superb. As, as an observer, the best display I've ever seen was uh, Zidane at Real Madrid. <laughs> I was observer for the Champions League semi-final between Real Madrid and Juventus. And I just dropped that one in, Rod. Hang on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible appointments. Yeah, that's what I thought at the time. And especially when the <laughs> zoomed in on him, he apparently was seen in this country, and like, what's he doing in the director's box? The <laughs> <laughs> Dan was just out of this world. You know, Rolls what Rolls he Rolls. was doing with and without the ball was just unbelievable. Is that is that uh, the year that the, the, the won it when he scored that incredible um, 
goal. Was 2003, I think. Was it? But, but in those days, smoking was allowed in the technical area. Ah. Del Bosque and Marcello Lippi. Ah, yeah. Technical area, there was a mound that high of bloody fagger. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Really? But, wow! Um, <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine that these days? You know, Jurgen Klopp just having a having a, a fag on side of pitch. Well, what? It's just mental, isn't it? Mental times. Roberto Carlos scored the winning goal that night. He hey, hit what? a thirty-yarder from outside the box, but he hit it diagonally from the the apex of the penalty area, eighteen yards out, and he hit it, and he went in the bottom corner, and the Assistant had his flag up for offside. And you can imagine with a few minutes to go, which this makes this 2 1 to um, Real Madrid. Flag up for offside. I can see the referee looking, thinking, oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, referee goes over. I could see the referee's hand sort of doing that at waist level, sort of pointing to the centre circle. And he went over, spoke with the assistant. The goal is given. Really? Yeah. Was it was it the right decision? So in the in the debrief after uh, the assistant, his name was Ole. Ole, I have to ask you, why did you raise your flag? And he said, my friend, there were three players standing in the position of offside, and from where I was, I could not tell if the ball had touched one of them. And if it had touched one of them and it's in the net, I do not flag. I am dead. I am finished. Okay, fair enough. I can accept that. Yeah, mm, yeah. So I said to the referee, is it, um, what, uh, what did you say to Ollie? I could see you going over, pointing, but I'd like to know what you said to him. He said, you'd like me to tell you in Norwegian or in English? I said, um, English, please. I know you can't do it in Welsh, so do it in English. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, very, very simple. He said, I just looked at Ollie and said, I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> 80,000 80, people. But the most telling thing about that is that when I went in the players' tunnel afterwards, Marcello Lippi came up to me and said, Mr. Observer, if Juventus score, I want goal. No arguments. It is goal. And he's just lost the match 2-1. Mm. Really? Wow. Yeah. Well, to talk about your experience, that we've been here for over an hour. So really, really appreciate. And you're then talking right. about Real Madrid. <laughs> Do you know um, what I mean? Well, <laughs> unbelievable. That's like, a, that's like a mic drop moment right there. It is, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Just, just before oh, you go, tell you it's going to be the game I saw the other week. But... <laughs> <laughs> Well, Roger, I told the boys how good you'll be, and uh, and I'm glad I was right. It's been an absolute joy, again, to listen sure. to and share your experience and knowledge. And you know, just thank you for all you've done for advice and stuff for me over the years. Thank you for what you give back to refereeing. It really needs recognising. And mm-hmm. thanks for just being a top boy, mate. So thanks ever so much, Roger. My pleasure, lads. Thanks, pleasure. Roger. Best of luck with the podcast in the future. Thank, Thank you, you, mate. Me. All the best. Take care, Roger. Thanks. Thank you. Okay. You can chalk me out now. <laughs> Don't worry. I'll sort you now. Oh, you, can, you can go and talk amongst yourselves now and say that. Was a load of- <laughs> <laughs>
Roger, you've been a star, mate. Thank you very much. I'm sure we'll cross paths again, uh, maybe on the pod at a future one. Uh, but you've been brilliant, mate. Thank you uh, for joining us today on the podcast. No problem at all, guys. Thank you. See you now.